Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Well, this morning we want to continue in our Timeless Truth series, and and I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to land this morning. Uh, And as you're turning there, I just want you to think back in your mind for a moment. Uh, If you remember your childhood and all the things that you dreamed that you would become, Anybody in the room thought, man, an astronaut? You, you were pretty sure you were going in space. Nobody? Come on, somebody in this room had to believe at one point they were going to be an astronaut. Firemen, policemen, nurses, doctors, you know, um, city workers, civil service people. I, I, don't know, I don't know what your dream was. Uh, I'll be real honest and transparent. For me, there was a season in my life, uh, and, and like every kid, I think I went through different seasons of different things that I wanted to become. There was a season in my life I wanted to be a marine biologist. Yeah, some of you are snickering. It's like, really? Um, now, listen, I, truthfully, I had no interest in biology. Um, I wanted to scuba dive. And I thought, a marine biologist, they scuba dive. I want to do that. Now, truthfully, I didn't even want to scuba dive. I wanted to jump in the golf course pond and retrieve balls. That was, that was my dream. And I thought, if I can have a job that would allow me to do that, that would be awesome. Because as kids, we would sneak in, there were two golf courses pretty near my house, and we would sneak in at night and climb in the pond and retrieve balls. And I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I had this dream of becoming a marine biologist so I could go do this. Uh, my, my dreams were shattered, by the way. <clears throat> um, but, you know, we always think about things that we want to become. And, and even as we get older, more mature, we still have these longings in our heart of becoming something. Uh, we want to become better at something. Uh, hopefully, we want to become a, a better spouse, a better parent, a better child. Even as our parents age, we want to honor them. We're, we're commanded in Scripture to honor our father and mother, and there's no age limit on that. And that, that's, a, that's a difficult process to navigate sometimes. But, you know, we, we have these things we want to become better. Um, and so, I've learned through my life and through my years of ministry especially that there's a big difference between becoming and belonging. Sometimes we just want to belong to something, but don't necessarily want to become. Uh, It's true in church life. Some people just want to belong to, to a fellowship. They want to belong to a family, but they don't have this longing to become a passionate follower of Jesus. People connect in small groups, and, and we hope that you do that. Through, through our new series, we're gonna launch some new groups. We would love to help you find a place that you connect and begin to dive into God's Word with other people relationally. Uh, some people just want to belong and in relationship with others. Some want to really become passionate followers. And there's a difference in, in that process. So I have discovered that there's this big difference between becoming and belonging, that that you can belong to a country club, but never become a great golfer or a great tennis player or a great pickleballer, whatever that is. I just know it's kind of the thing right now. You can belong to a gym, but not become fit. That monthly draft, I'm like, why are we doing that? We either need to use it or lose it, right? Uh, and you can, but you can, be, you can belong to something but not become something. You can belong to a church and not become 
a passionate follower of Jesus because you just want to belong. There's a progression that takes place in the life of every person when we strive to become something. And I want to press us into a passage of Scripture in, in Luke chapter 5. And to really understand Luke 5, let me just give you one verse uh, out of Luke chapter 6, because to me, few lines express more clearly what a real follower of Jesus looks like, what real discipleship looks like. And it's in a word that is spoken by Jesus Himself. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, you can see it on the screen or flip in your Bible, but it's, He simply says, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, that's a key word, fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to look a lot like me. You, you will be like your teacher, not greater than. Jesus is going, you can't be greater than me, but you're going to look like me. You're going to represent me. You're going to uh, act like me, talk like me, serve like me. Uh, the word fully trained is, is really a great word. It's translated in so many different ways throughout Scripture. Uh, one way it's translated is perfected, uh, matured. It's also translated mended because when we come to Christ, we're broken and we need, we need mending. And so there's a lot of ways that that is used, but it literally means to become fully mature or fully trained, developed, spiritually mature. That as we progress, becoming more and more spiritually mature, Jesus says, you will be like your teacher. See, you can belong to a church and yet not become fully trained or fully mature. You can belong to a church and not become like our teacher, not, not Pastor Scott, our teacher, Jesus, our teacher, because that's what Jesus is saying. So, so the timeless truth that I want to press into this morning as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 5 is simply this. God always wants us, you and me, to experience more of Him than you and I truly desire of Him. God always wants you to experience more of Him than you truly desire to experience of Him. And in the process, there's a progression that leads us there. His love, His grace, His power, His presence are limitless, and His desire for us to call on Him, to grow in Him, and to live in His fullness is, is over and over extended to us if simply we'll take steps of obedience and grow. There's a great old hymn, I don't know if you remember it, but it was titled, Oh, to be like thee. Anybody remember this? It was, a, it was a wonderful old hymn. It simply said this, Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art, come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness, stamp Your own image or Thine own image deep on my heart. Uh, what a wonderful song to pray and, and to sing and lift the Lord. God, oh, to be like Thee, stamp Your image on my heart. That's the progression, to become like our teacher. As someone once described discipleship as the road from the mind of the flesh to the mind of Christ. I think that's true, right? We're born again, coming from a sinful life to a new life in Jesus Christ. And, and there's this progression where my mind gives and dies to the, to the flesh and, and begins to grow and into uh, the mind of Jesus Christ. 
So this story in Luke 5, we, we sort of get a glimpse into Peter's life. Uh, and in doing so, I, I believe we get a picture of the progression of the journey as you and I live day to day, moment by moment, to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, let's just look there. Uh, and, and let me just set this up contextually just a little bit. Um, your, your Bible may have little sections broken off, and, and it may say, Jesus calls the first disciples. Does your Bible say that? Anybody? Let me see a hand. Somebody. Okay, gotten several. Okay. Um, some scholars believe this may or may not be true, uh, because some will believe that this is a parallel passage to Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, where Jesus calls his first disciples. Others question that because there's a couple things leading up to this. If you, if you look in Luke 5, uh, Jesus heals a man with an unclean demon in the temple. Uh, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Um, he, he's preaching in the synagogues. Mark has these coming after Jesus first calls Peter, James, and John. And Luke has those preceding this. And so, some scholars believe that, that there was a point at which Jesus was introduced to these men, called them, they followed him. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 1 actually takes them on a little journey through Capernaum and Galilee, uh, and then they kind of end up back in this region. Some scholars believe they're back in this region, the disciples are fishing, there's a deeper relationship, which I think I see implied here. Um, so, this may be kind of a second encounter where Jesus is, is inviting these guys to an even deeper relationship. Uh, either way, the encounter is exactly the same. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it simply says this, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake uh, of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Now, again, the first call in Matthew 4 and Mark 1, the, it says they were actually fishing. Here it says they were done fishing. So again, there's some, some interesting little implications as to whether this was a first or a second kind of a call. Um, but he says, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Not, not a simple task. Can I just say that? It implies they've been fishing all night, and, and, and now they're cleaning their nets. Uh, they have to clean them and wash all the salt off and all that and mend them and, and care for them. Otherwise, they're going to be damaged the next time they go out. And so there's a process. This is a tedious process. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, I love this. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Verse 7 says, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. I love the progression that I see in this relationship with Peter and, and Jesus. And I want to just quickly point out four things uh, this morning in this text. 
uh, because Peter's encounter kind of shows us what it means to, to continue to grow to be more like our teacher. And the first thing I want you to see is that there is a hesitant obedience. Uh, I don't know about you, when you come to know Christ, that, that he, he begins to challenge you in certain areas, and it's like there's a little bit of a caution, a little bit of hesitance. And we see it here with Peter in verse 5. It says, and Simon answered, Master, hang on to that word, it's important. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You, can, can you hear it? I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to do this, but, right, it was like, hey, Master, now, it's important to, to, to realize he's calling him master. This is teacher. It implies that, that he's, he's sat under his teaching. He knows something of him. This crowd is following him. Jesus is teaching with great wisdom and understanding. And, and Peter is, is just sort of listening while he's mending nets and washing out his nets. But when I look at this text, it also reminds me that our pursuits are often fruitless without his blessing. Right? Peter had worked hard through the night with no success, and the business of washing these nets was no little task, and he knew that to, to take this step of obedience, he was going to start from scratch. And, and honestly, do you think he was expecting to catch anything? No. I've worked all night. These fishermen fished at night, not during the day. So now it's morning or through the day, and, and Peter is cleaning out and, and taking care of things. I, I fished all night. I didn't catch anything. You're asking me to push out. I'm not expecting anything, but because you say so. And, and so there's this hesitant obedience. You know, I, I love this because Peter's routine is interrupted. H have you ever been interrupted by Jesus? You just had your, your routine interrupted when he says, hey, I want you to do this, and you go, no, it's really not in my plan right now. And Jesus said, it's okay, I want you to do it anyway. It may be an encounter, it may be a gospel encounter with you handing out a, a little booklet, would you like to know God personally? It may be an encounter where you're simply stepping away from your own comfort in some form or fashion because the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take this hesitant step of obedience, and you're going, I don't know that I really want to do that, but I'll do it anyway. There was one time um, I, was, I was working with some collegiate ministry activities, and, and in a quick afternoon, I ran to a McDonald's not far from our church, and, and I, I went through the drive-thru. I was just going to grab something really quick, a kid's meal. Believe it or not, I had a kid's meal because I get toys, and I love toys. Yeah, I'm in my 50s at this point, by the way. Um, I still have toys in my car and in my office because sometimes when I'm meeting with families, the kid needs a toy. And so this is my idea, right? <laughs> uh, so I drive through and there's this young girl standing out at the drive through taking orders. There was some mechanical issues, so she's taking orders. Um, not something McDonald's typically does. And so I encountered this young lady, probably college age. I'm meeting with several dozen college students that night. And the Holy Spirit's prompting me in this moment. Tell her about me. Tell her about me. Just invite her. Connect her with other believers. Tell her about me and point her to Jesus. You know what I did? I placed my order and I drove away. Got my meal. And to get out, I had to drive past her again. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit's saying, tell her about me. 
Dave, just, just whip in there, tell her about me. Nobody's in line. She's just out there in the heat. You know what I did? I, I drove out. I got to the exit, and the Holy Spirit was just beating me up in this moment, going, you have been disobedient, and I just want you to be obedient. And so I put my little brown Honda in reverse, and I backed up, and I pulled around again. And by now, I know this girl's going, who's this creep that's driving around in this little Honda? Because I, I pull up, and, and I just had to be honest with her. I said, the Holy Spirit of God was prompting me, and I just want you to know that God loves you and he cares for you. And I said, twice, he, he asked me to tell you that, and I didn't do it. And so I, I'm here just to tell you that God loves you and he cares for you. She goes, well, thank you. And, and nothing magical happened. She didn't start crying and go, oh my God, I need to know Jesus. It was just a moment. And then I invited her. I said, hey, you look like you're college age. I work with some college students. We meet right down here at this. She goes, you mean that big church on the corner? And I said, yeah. She says, I've always wondered what it would be like to go in that place. And I said, well, starting at 8.30 tonight, we got a group of college students. We're going to be in there. We'd love to have you. Now, I would love to tell you some incredible story of how this girl right in the parking lot of McDonald's got down on her knees, invited Jesus into her life. That didn't happen. But you know what did happen? God taught me something in my hesitant obedience. And there was a progression of growth. I learned to listen to the Lord just a little bit more. I learned to be a little bit more obedient in the moment. I didn't see some incredible, I have no idea what happened to that young lady. I trust and pray that she came to know the God that loves her. But what I do know is that I was obedient in the moment. And, that, and that's all I'm responsible for. So I believe there's a direct ministry application when, when we look at this verse, because we get nowhere on our own strength. You know, how much of our ministry oftentimes is done in our own strength? Oh, if we could only be more creative, uh, a little bit of ingenuity, only to come up empty and exhausted. Instead of realizing, you know what? It's all about Jesus. Our, our questions are, are resolved when we know who He is. Paul, uh, Peter, Peter acknowledged him as master. It means teacher, instructor. And when we have the courage to say, but at your word, I will. Uh, I can come up with a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons why I don't want to do this, but God, you're prompting me. And, and at your word, I will. That's it. If we would just live in the I will moments, God, I can give you a lot of reasons why I don't want to do this, but I only need one, and that is because it's your word, and your word says it, and I will. I will. Your principle is this, if you're following along with the outline, our hesitancy must give way to his agenda. See, God has an agenda. He's got a purpose, and, and he's driving us to his will, and, and we need to give way. Our hesitancy has to give way to God's agenda. Uh, there's a great little book. I just want to share a quote. Um, uh, this little book is called Life on Mission. Um, Dustin Willis, Aaron Coe was part of the SEND network, uh, part of the Southern Baptist SEND Church Planting Network. Uh, and they wrote this book, and it was really phenomenal. There's a couple things that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, I love it. Right here they say, talking about the supremacy of God, he says, one of the marks of a person who is spiritually maturing is that they have a big view of God. They have come to trust that he is king and able to do what he says he will do. 
It's important to understand that God is at the center of his mission and that by default, we are not. Somebody say amen. If we believe that God is supreme, then we're in a good position to mature spiritually. Our desires and decisions will be in submission to him, fostering a lifetime of repentance and realigning our hearts toward his heart and kingdom. A big view of God is the starting point for mission. How big is your view of God? I believe in this moment, Peter's perspective changed dramatically. And I believe we live the perspective of God that we have. If you see God as a big God, you live with big dreams and big actions. If you see God as small, distant, and impersonal, guess how you live? Like he's a small God who's distant and impersonal. But at this moment, Peter's attention was on himself. It was on his task. Get this, listen, he's with Jesus. He's with Jesus in a boat. He's listening to Jesus, but it's still all about Peter, not the mission. In that moment, Peter was all about Peter. He was missing all the people that Jesus was teaching. There's a reason Jesus got in the boat and said, push out, right? He had to distance himself from the crowd so that they could see him and hear him. And here's Peter sitting in the boat with Jesus, and yet he's missing the mission to which Jesus called him. And I believe in this moment, Peter's perspective changed dramatically. You know, we say it a lot around here, we are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. But are we? Are you? You see, we can't be passionate as a church if you are not passionate as an individual, if I'm not passionate as an individual. We only do things as a church when we do them individually and collectively. We're a giving church because we give collectively. We're a compassionate church because we're compassionate people. We're an evangelistic church because we're an evangelistic people. We're a disciple-making church because we're a disciple-making people. Do you see, you see the process? We're, we're in this together. And Peter's perspective now changed. Three weeks ago, uh, Alex Hamaya was here, and uh, I love Alex. The day that he was here uh, in my social media stuff, a memory popped up from 10 years ago that Alex and I were in Nashville together at a, a SEND conference, and he was teaching a breakout session uh, and as he was teaching, God was challenging me. And, and one of the things that he said that I shared, and it was 10 years ago, this is what he said. He said, the full-on inclination of the church is to turn inward. If we take our hands off the wheel, it will U-turn because we are so out of alignment. It is really easy in church life to stay focused on us and our little tasks and miss the mission to which God called us. You know, it's not about my needs. It's about what? Connecting people to Jesus for life change. People that have not yet connected with Jesus to come to know Jesus. Our mission is to go find people who are not connected to Jesus. It's about connecting people in the body who want to belong but are not striving to become. Uh, my, my radar's always up for that one that's, that's wanting to belong but not become. To, to look for the unconnected. I, I say it a lot with our small group leaders and, and staff, and, and I, Pastor Brad laughs sometimes because he's like, it's all about the unconnected. 
right? Because I'll say, we have to keep the needs of unconnected people squarely in the headlights, right? But when we're looking around the church campus, it's like, who's unconnected? I want to connect them to Jesus for life change. And and connecting is all about relationships. I want to connect them in relationship with Jesus and relationship with one another so that we can be discipled and grow to spiritual maturity to do what? To connect more unconnected people. That's the process of the mission. But sometimes we, we get so out of alignment that if we take our hands off the wheel, instead of pursuing the mission, we take our hands off the wheel and we do this U-turn and it's like, well, how can we take care of one another? Now, don't get me wrong, caring for one another is a huge part of what we do. But it always creates a tension between what we do internally and what we do externally. Oh, we need to be more focused on love and care. No, we need to be more focused on evangelism. You're right. You're absolutely right. We need to do both. And we need to do both with excellence. But if we, if we don't keep our eye on the goal and our hands firmly on the wheel, we'll lose touch with the mission. And I believe in this moment, Peter had lost touch with the mission, but now his perspective shifts. Look what he does. The second thing I want you to see is there's an honest acknowledgement. There's an honest acknowledgement. Look at verse 8. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, now, now saw is not just a, a visible thing. It's literally a, a point of comprehension. Uh, the word is really interesting because it, it's a point of comprehension. It's like the light went on. Oh, oh now I got it. And, and he says, and he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's term of who Jesus is just changed. I don't know if you saw it. It just changed from master to Lord, from teacher to true master, to to the point that I am your servant. I am unworthy to be in your presence. When Peter's perspective of Jesus changed, Peter's perspective of himself changed. If you get nothing else this morning, I want you to understand this. When your perspective of God changes and you see him for who he is, you see you for who you really are. And in this moment, Peter saw that. There was an honest acknowledgement of who Jesus is, and that forced him to be honest about who he is. And when I come to that place, and I need to do it regularly, of honestly acknowledging who Jesus is and honestly acknowledging who I am, it keeps me on mission. I love the way a couple other translations or paraphrases put this. I love the way the message says, Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner, and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. The, the Living Bible says, I'm too much of a sinner for you to have around. Do you notice the perspective shift from, from Peter just sitting, kind of washing his nets and caring for his stuff, to all of a sudden there's this, this honest acknowledgement of who Jesus is and who he is. And so your principle is really pretty simple, but we need to remind ourselves of this all the time. When we truly see Jesus for who he is, we see ourselves as we truly are. And that is sinful before a holy God. So there's a hesitant obedience, this honest acknowledgement, but then I want you to see that there's a wonderful promise. The, The end of verse 10, if you have your Bible open, it says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
In that moment where, where Peter is saying, I, I'm unworthy to have you around, there was, he was sort of stricken with fear that, that, man, God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Are you going to take me? Are, are you still going to befriend me? Are you still going to love me? Anybody else struggle with that? How can God really love me? How can God love me in all of my sin? And, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. I love this because it's almost as if um, when you think about fear and change, that's exactly what Peter's experiencing. And change is a fearful thing. We don't, we don't like change, do we? Come on, honest, right? Nobody, nobody, likes, nobody likes change. By nature, we are creatures of comfort. We're creatures of habit. Uh, but God's promises here in this moment is to bless his plan, not my plan. It, it's to bless Peter and, and Peter following God's plan, not Peter's plan. And Peter acted with this hesitant obedience. He saw this uh, powerful hand of God in action, and now he experiences this promise. It, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, don't worry. Things are going to change, but I've got this. I've got you. You follow me. You just come with me. I have a plan. I have a purpose for you. And I'm going to make you into something. In that moment, I think Peter was honestly thought he was going to be discarded because he's not worthy. And yet Jesus says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. I got you. I've got a plan and a purpose that, that is greater than anything you could imagine. And so he's given him a new task. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, he's given you a new task. He's given you a new identity. Uh, when, when you think about what the Word of God says, Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus declaring this of himself, he says, uh, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. That's exactly what Jesus was inviting Peter to do, to seek and to save lost people. He was giving him a mission. And your principle here is simply this, in Jesus we become what we have been declared. In Jesus we become what we have been declared. Now, now can I just give you a couple of things? In Jesus Christ we have been declared righteous through His blood. Somebody say amen. Man, that, that is good news. You know, right? In Jesus we have been declared forgiven. That's great, isn't it? In Jesus, we have been declared citizens of heaven. Uh, we've been declared a new creation. We've been declared recipients of the Holy Spirit of God. We have been declared through Jesus to be children of God. And see, if Jesus declares it, then, then that's what we become. Now, all these things that I've shared, as awesome as they are, these are things that we receive and begin to change our identity because we receive these things. But there's other things in Scripture, like the one that we're looking at right now, that causes us to do something. Not, not out, of, out of the idea of, of earning God's love, but because we've been a recipient of God's love, God calls us to action. Because He tells us, hey, you are called to be fishers of men. Well, hey, I just want to be a citizen of heaven. <laughs> well, hey, if you become what you've been declared, Jesus says, you will be fishers of men. Well, God, I don't want to be fishers of men. I want to be forgiven. I want to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus. I want to be a citizen of heaven. God goes, that's all great. But with that comes the responsibility to be fishers of men. And you go, God, I don't want to be fishers of men. And Jesus says, how long are we going to have this conversation? 
He, he also tells us that you're to be salt and light, that, that you are to step out in the glory and splendor of God to a lost and dying world and be salt and light, that, that we're to be a city on a hill, that we are to be witnesses, that we are to be peacemakers. These are calls to action that cause us to do something with the faith that we claim and not simply sit back and go, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, I'm a citizen of heaven, man, life is good. Uh, to me, it's a difference between belonging and becoming. I can belong to the family of God, but as I become a follower of Jesus to become more like my teacher, I'm called to action. I begin to see myself as, as a city on a hill, as salt and light, as a witness, as a peacemaker, and yes, as a fisher of men. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. Let me take us back to one great little quote. Dustin and Aaron in, in this book, uh, it's a great little book, simply called Life on Mission. I encourage you to read it. Uh, God himself is on a rescue mission as he invites people into right relationship with him. Joining God in his mission will require that we become willing to extend the invitation to others. You see, if we're going to join God on his mission, we have to come to that place that we are willing, willing to convey his love to other people, to, to extend the invitation to other people. We must be willing to do that as we embrace his mission because we become what we have been declared. So we go from hesitant obedience to an honest acknowledgement. We see God for who he is. We see ourselves for who we are. We have this wonderful promise. Don't worry, Dave, I got you. We're gonna be good. I'm gonna take you through this journey. But fourth, I want you to see there's a willing surrender. It happened really fast according to the text, but all of a sudden there was a willing surrender. Peter embraced the love and the care that Jesus offered him in the moment, and he said, let's go. Uh, his, his perspective changed so radically and so drastically that the greatest success physically that Peter ever experienced in his life, he's walking away from. Look at it in the text in verse 11. He says, and when they had brought their boats to land, get this, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. Peter, having the greatest success ever, he grew up a fisherman. That's what he knew. He lived in this region. That's what he understood. The sons of Zebedee, that's what they, it was a family business. And just experiencing the greatest success ever, Peter said, that's it, I'm done. I'm walking away from everything to follow Jesus. This surrender meant giving up the business. And I can imagine Peter in this moment kind of going, hey, it's one thing when Jesus wants the boat to teach from. It's another thing when he wants the complete business and everything else that goes with it. Some of us want to belong, and we're comfortable just sort of having Jesus in our boat. But when Jesus goes, I want the boat, I want the catch, I want the success, I want your family, I want your hobbies, I want everything about you to be consumed with me. That's where we stop and go, am I willing to become or do I just want to belong? 
And I believe people listen in those moments, if we can take these hesitant steps of obedience, begin to experience the power of God in a new and a fresh way, we begin to learn to take bolder steps. And there's a progression of growth toward being more like our teacher. Because in this moment, this surrender meant absolute, complete abandonment. This is a very risky place to be because for that moment in time as a child of God, you feel like you have your feet firmly planted in midair. You know that feeling? I am so out of control, I have no idea what's going on, but this is awesome. See, we want to control ministry. We want to control Jesus. We want to count stuff. And Jesus says, no, you you take steps of faith. You let me do what only I can do anyway. You walk away from stuff. You follow me and and, and just surrender. Now, listen, I, I want to be really careful. I'm not saying God is calling you to leave your business or anything else. He just wants the priority. God doesn't call every one of us to some kind of vocational ministry. He didn't with me. I I mean, I went from marine biologist to, you know, um, athletic director and coach. I love sports and I wanted to get into that. And I did, you know, I was pursuing that for a while. I still don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. All I know is that today in this moment, I'm living for Jesus where he calls me. What about you? Uh, Whatever you're doing, God is going to use you. He's going to call you. I think this is really an issue of priority more than anything else. God's not asking every single person to just abandon everything and try to join some church staff or go on a mission field. But listen, he might. He might be doing that. And some of you right now are going, God, please don't send me to Africa. Are you willing to go across the street? Are you willing to go to your neighborhood? Are you willing to to jump in and go to Stonecrest as we love and minister to people? Are you willing to go to Durham Rescue, Raleigh Rescue? Are you willing to just kind of go throughout Raleigh and help convey the good news and the grace of Jesus Christ as a missionary? Are you willing to do that through your business, through your hobbies? Folks, listen, you can talk about Jesus Christ in a golf cart, even if you're not a great golfer. You can still convey the love of Jesus. The golf course can be a mission field. The pickleball court can be a mission field. Everything we do can be a mission field if we're willing to take hesitant steps of obedience, acknowledge God for who He is, enjoy the promise of God that is wonderful, and then then just willingly surrender ourselves. God will do incredible things wherever we go. That's what He wants to do. See, this surrender, if you're following along, fill this in, this surrender meant radical discipleship. This was a radical moment for Peter that changed his life. See, there's this invitation in Scripture to come and see. Then then it kind of goes a little deeper, come and follow. Then it goes, come and die. I think this was one of those moments where Peter went from come and see to really come and follow. And he grew deeper in his love and his intimate relationship with Jesus to the point that we know that he was martyred for his faith. Because here he walked away from everything and he said, there's nothing Nothing that's more important than my relationship with Jesus and the fulfillment of his gospel mission. To follow was not simply to come and and follow Jesus down the path. It meant that I am willing to obey every future command. This was a point of absolute surrender. It wasn't, hey, just follow me and I'll show you how to get to the store. It was, no, follow me. You come and die to yourself, leave it all, come and follow me, obey every future command. 
And that's what he did. So this morning as we close, I want to ask you, what's your next step in your progression? When I think about this progression process, it's really interesting because think about this for a moment. Peter is sitting in the boat with Jesus. He's listening to the voice and the teaching of Jesus, even while he was mending and washing his nets. See, I think for any one of us to to take that next step, we have to be in close proximity with Jesus. And, And can I just say close proximity with Jesus involves church, but it's not just church, okay? Close proximity is you this afternoon, tonight, Tomorrow, sitting in the presence of God in close proximity, listening to the voice of Jesus. It's getting up tomorrow and spending time in close proximity with Jesus. It's, it's getting in your car and spending close proximity with Jesus and, and fulfilling your work task as unto the Lord in close proximity with Jesus because the Spirit is with you and you're listening to His voice and you're recalling Scripture you're listening to the, to the teaching of Jesus because you've hidden his word in your, in your heart. And, and you're, you're simply listening. You see, this happened because Peter was listening and he was close in proximity to Jesus. It, it, it doesn't matter this morning who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. I want you to know that Jesus is pursuing you and he wants more for you. He wants you to be more like himself. Do you want that? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, in this place, we surrender ourselves to you. God, we want to be in close proximity to you and who you are to know you more. God, just teach us. Let us surrender to you. Acknowledge who you are in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen.